right, good morning. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah, it's a good place. I've already done this this morning, and I got pretty excited. I'm glad to be with you guys right now. I really am. God is so good. I enjoyed the worship. You know, that video song says, you know, dry bones come alive. And that's what God does. He calls the dead back to life. Amen. And then, and then our, our God has robbed the grave. Our God has robbed the grave. And because of that, there is hope. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful news? Hey, listen, before I jump into the sermon today, um, I want to let you know that, and this happened, oh, well, Thursday I went over with a couple of guys and we saw a World War II ship over in Evansville, um, an LST, they called it. And, um, yeah, so before that, I realized that today um, would be the 77th anniversary of D-Day. It was 77 years ago today that thousands of men, hundreds of thousands of men, as a matter of fact, um, went ashore on the shores of Normandy, France, and launched the, the defeat of Adolf Hitler and the tyranny and the horrors of war that he brought on the, that continent and on us, and of course, ultimately in, in Asia. And I thought about that, and I said, you know, we need to pause and honor that. Um, because that day... Um, thousands died. Thousands died. Two hundred twenty or two hundred twenty-five hundred and one, I think it is, is the account of American dead. And of course, there were more missing in action and a lot more wounded. Um, the Allied dead were about four thousand four hundred. All of that in one day. Um, these men jumped off these landing craft, and some of them never made it off the craft. A, a mortar shell would hit it directly, and all the lives—thirty-five, forty, fifty men—gone into eternity just like that. And as the door came down, they were faced with a hail of machine gun bullets, and they died. And they died. They didn't even get a chance to fire a bullet, and they died. And I am so reminded today that sacrifices like that, that makes our freedoms possible. Um, I'm going to stand in just a few minutes, like right now, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I can do that in, in this country because of the price they paid. We, we worship today the living God without any fear. And that's possible because of their sacrifice. Um, there's a town called Bedford, Virginia. And Bedford, Virginia sent a contingent of young men over in the World War II, over to Europe. And uh, they were all National Guardsmen. And they went over there, and they were on the first wave of D-Day. And they were assigned Omaha Beach. And Omaha Beach was the hornet's nest. Of all the casualties that America suffered that day, most of them occurred on Omaha Beach. And that day, that small town of Virginia gave up 19 of their young men. Now, can you imagine a small town and 19 of your young men dying in one day, in one battle? 19 sons, husbands, brothers killed. So I just thought it appropriate because, listen, we can't let this be forgotten. One of the greatest enemies we have of our freedom, and trust me, there probably are many, is forgetting. We've got to remember the price that was paid, that we are the nation that we are, and that we enjoy the freedoms um, that we have. So I'm going to ask you to stand your feet. And we're just going to pause a moment, and I'm going to pray, and just thank God for the freedoms that we have. And may we never, never forget um, what they did that we might be free. Let's pray. Hey, Father, we, uh, we joyfully bow our heads today in prayer. And I am I'm thankful, Father, for this sacrifice. I, 
I cannot even my wildest imagination imagine the courage it took to, Father, to face that, that hell that it was Normandy beaches. And, of course, it didn't stop there. Um, Father, the, the war raged for another year and a little bit longer than that in the Pacific. But Father, these folks, they sacrificed their lives that we could be free. They sacrificed their lives that I could stand up and preach today. They sacrificed their lives um, that we could worship today. And we honor their sacrifice. I know for many families, even though it's been 77 years, the, the pain is still there of the son or the brother uh, that did not come home, the husband that did not come home. And Father, as we think about their sacrifice, we're instantly reminded of your sacrifice that you charged the gates of hell. You gave, you charged the power of death and the grave head on and died on a Roman cross that people like us could be free. So thank you, Lord. We are incredibly grateful. And we pray it, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen and amen. All right, please be seated. Well, today is a special day at Dorisville. We are beginning what certainly must be called our summer message series, and it's entitled The Fruit of the Wheat Club. Now, this came from, and I've heard, this has never happened to me, um, but I know it's happened maybe to some of y'all, that a relative didn't know what to give you, or maybe your boss didn't know, the company didn't know what to give you for maybe Christmas, and so they gave you the Fruit of the Month Club, and all year long you'd get some kind of pears or maybe apples or oranges, you know, around the first of the month or so, this fruit would show up. Well, that gave me the idea for the fruit of the wheat club. What if we were to take the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, what if we were to take that and go through the summer with it? So today, we're going to kick off um, the series with a sermon about the Holy Spirit, which, again, is the fruit of the Spirit uh, that we're going to talk about all summer. Now, you get to know something that the first crowd didn't know. I thought it may happen, and I'm pretty sure it's going to happen now for sure, is that we're going to divide today into two. I already had an exit point, and so what I prepared the second part, we're going to go ahead and extend the series a week. And so this is part one of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you've got a friend, and part two is going to be next week. And I just, again, determined that uh, in between Sunday school, in between First service and second service. So you're the first to hear that, all right? So all summer long, ending up sometime in August, about the, the middle of August, we'll be ending our series. But here's the goal. I want to take now two weeks and just talk about the Holy Spirit. Just about the Holy Spirit. And then, in a way, hopefully, that God will give me grace, I will make each week fresh and new as we talk about the nine fruit of the Spirit. I'm hoping that each week we'll learn, we'll have an education process, if you will, and then we're going to see a demonstration in someone's life in the Bible of how that fruit was played out. And then we'll have an application time. That's my goal for each week. Because I really believe the Word of God needs to be applicable. It needs to be part of our lives today. But we needed to start at the beginning. And so today we talk about the Holy Spirit. You've got a friend. Now, I first had, you know, the Holy Spirit favorite things. And I just had a feeling that wasn't going to jail well. And so this past week, um, the idea of you've got a friend, now I must confess and be honest, since I'm a little bit older school, and uh, the first song that popped in my brain was James Taylor. 
You've got a friend. You know, remember that? Yeah, Carol King. They sang it. Yeah, hello. It was great, you know. And so I told Lynn, I said, Lynn, don't publish the sermon graphic. I'm going to change the title to You've Got a Friend. And she goes, oh, that's a really good idea. I bet you're talking about Toy Story. And I said, well, no, actually, I was talking about James Taylor and Carol King. I said, but you know what? Probably Toy Story is a better idea. She said, yeah, you'll probably get more people to remember that. <laughs> so we older folks, you know, the 70s, you know, things age. But yeah, in 1995, the movie Toy Story came out. It was an animated film um, by Disney. And boy, was it a huge um, success. It's about a bunch of toys. Oh, that's original. A bunch of toys. And one guy named Woody in particular. And he was kind of like the leader. And all of a sudden... A new toy shows up, Buzz Lightyear. And all of a sudden, Buzz is kind of like the imposing leader, and Woody is feeling very insecure in his position. He did not see Buzz Lightyear as a friend. He saw him as an adversary, as an adversary. Well, the guy that wrote the song um, for Toy Story was Randy Newman. You probably don't know that name, but he's written a lot of the great uh, songs that we know, okay, through the movies. But he wrote this one, and here's how it goes. You remember the words probably. Um, You've got a friend in me, and that's all I'll sing. You've got a friend in me. Whoops, quit, stop. Okay, when the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed... You just remember what your old pal said. You've got a friend in me. Boy, you've got a friend in me. What a great song about friendship. And of course, Woody and Buzz eventually come together and and become these wonderfully great friends. Well, if it could be any better, it is better. Because if if God was going to write a song about the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't say, you've got a friend in me. Rather, it be first person me writing it saying, I've got a friend in me. Now, the first thing pops in your brain is, you mean you're your own best friend? No, no, no. I literally have a friend who lives in me. And that friend is the Holy Spirit. I mean, he is our new BFF. And you know, we say that sometimes and people chuckle. (laughs) But he really is our best friend forever. And what we want to talk about is the Holy Spirit and then some favorite things about the Holy Spirit, about things that really just speak my heart. And now we'll have two weeks to maybe extend that and talk a little bit more. Because I really think, much like Woody, um, for whatever reason, often believers are just a little skittish of the Holy Spirit. Forgetting, of course, that there's the Father and there's the Son and there's the Holy Spirit. He's part of the Trinity. But we're just a little bit skittish and intimidated about the Holy Spirit. And my goal today would be that we would feel more comfortable and embracing the Holy Spirit because he really is our BFF. Now, here's the deal. In John chapter 14, verse 17, you know, Jesus is speaking. He kind of tells us about the Holy Spirit. He says, and this will help you. Um, The world cannot receive him, him being the Holy Spirit. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Now I'm gonna let, I'm gonna help you guys because I know as believers we sometimes get really frustrated with the world. We don't get it why they don't get it. We don't understand. Somehow we we look at the world and expect them to act like Christians. They're not. And you listen, you you will get very frustrated trying to teach your cat to bark. 
Cats don't bark. And nor will, nor will your dog go meow. They're just not going to do it. So we as the church have got, we as Christ followers have got to get to the idea that the world is not Christian. Don't get frustrated. Again, Jesus says so clearly, the world can't receive him um, because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. And so don't be surprised when the world acts like the world because that's what they are. But here's the deal. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is the church being the church. The answer is us living our Christian lives out and sharing this glorious message of the gospel so that the world wants Jesus and to show them how they can have Jesus. Again, I've said it so many times here recently, the answer is not politics. The answer is Jesus Christ. If we want America changed, it's not political. It is powerfully through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he goes on in verse number 17b in John 14. The world cannot receive him because it is looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But, Jesus says, you know him. Now listen, you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. And what Jesus compared himself. He said, right now, you've got me. Talking to the boys. Right now, you've got me. He is with you. He compares himself with the Holy Spirit. And I'll explain that in just a moment. Okay? So, so he sees himself as comparable to the Holy Spirit. You remember when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Well, Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, you've seen me. Vice versa. Okay? So, so he says, you know him because he lives with you now. Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I'm with you now. But, 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 but. And later, not much later, he'll be in you. See, that's why I said, I've got a friend in me. Because when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, my BFF, comes and lives in me. In me. And that's very, very powerful. So, our place to start is always the beginning. So let's look at Titus chapter 3 and verse number 4 and 5, the first part. And let's see how all this begins. The Bible says, But when... The kindness of God, our Savior, and, first his kindness, his mercy, and his love for mankind appeared. Now, now obviously what he's talking about is when Jesus came. At Christmas, when God became man. Y'all got that? God incarnate. God in the flesh. God became man. So Paul says that, that when, when the kindness of God, he describes Jesus as kindness, and then he describes his love for mankind, he describes Jesus as love, okay? He saved us. He saved us. When Jesus comes on the scene who publicly said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost, when he comes on the scene, okay, he saved us. He redeemed us. He rescues us, okay? But here's what's important because we Baptists are a little bit quirky on this, okay? He saved us not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Somehow, it keeps entering into our brains, into our theology, if we're not careful, that somehow we need to still appease God. That if we perform, okay, and if we do the right things, that somehow God likes me more. If, if I do more, God likes me more. If I do more, He approves of me more. But Paul says very clearly, no, no, no. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. Rather, rather, 
but according to his mercy. According to his mercy. Now, you might be saying about now, <coughs> excuse me, what that has to do um, with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Well, hang on. Look at verse number 5, the second part, and verse number 6. This is the mechanics of it. Okay? All right? He tells us that when, when God's kindness shows up, when his love showed up, okay, he saved us, he redeemed us, he rescued us. And it wasn't by works that we did, but according to his mercy, his kindness. And then he says this, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal, here it is, of the Holy Spirit. Through the washing of regeneration and through the renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, the washing of regeneration is made possible because of the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on this Roman, a Roman cross like this, when he spilled his blood, okay, he made it possible for every man, woman, and child to come into relationship with God the Father. He paid the price. The price um, for our sin was death, and he died on a Roman cross that we could be forgiven. So he made it possible. But then he also says this, by the washing of regeneration, but by the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit is the regenerative agent that causes our salvation. I told the first group, I, I wrote something down, and, and you know... You know I've not heard it said this way before, and that's always a little bit frightening, but I think it works very well, so I encourage you to write it down because I think it works, okay? The blood of Jesus Christ made it possible, but the Spirit makes it happen. The, the washing of the blood, the blood makes it possible, but the Holy Spirit makes it happen. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and my faith, my faith and what He did on the cross... When he died for my sins, that makes the way possible. I, by faith, ask Jesus into my heart, and the Holy Spirit makes it happen. He comes in and takes resident up into my part of God, if you will, comes and lives within me. He makes it, makes it happen. Now, he goes on, verse number 6, and says, He, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord abundantly. I like that. I like When God does things lavishly, when God does things big, I really like it. I didn't even realize it, but the last song, um, when I, you know, I was worshiping and singing, but I didn't notice, but did you, did you notice? The background for that song was Niagara Falls. And here's what I said in first service, not even realizing the background that was being used. You know, one of the favorite things that I enjoy every day is my shower. I take one in the morning. I like it nice and hot. I take an out morning shower, and I take an evening shower. I just love that. And, and I have a good shower. I mean, just like, you know. And so when we go on vacation, a big deal is what's the shower going to be like, okay? So Judy usually prepares for bed first, and so she'll go in there, and I'll be sitting in there watching TV or reading or something. Yeah, probably not reading. I'm not much of a reader, but watching TV. And so I'll hear her turn the water on, and here's the words that come from the other part of the hotel room. Hey, what's the shower like? Okay? And what I'm asking is, is it a tinkle-dinkle, or is it a flood? 
Okay, and invariably it's usually not a flood. Occasionally it is, but, but usually it's not. Okay, it's a tinkle-dinkle. And so I get excited when it's a flood, and I'm not so excited when it's a tinkle-dinkle. Okay, so here's the deal. When the Bible says he poured out his spirit on us, how? Abundantly. Abundantly. It wasn't a tinkle-dinkle little tribble of his spirit coming down on us. Honey, it was Niagara Falls. He dumped the Holy Spirit on us. He gave us the whole load of the Holy Spirit on us. Now listen, listen. The more, the more we understand that, the more important it becomes. See, see, you may not get, again, you may not, if you, if you think the whole deal of the Holy Spirit is some kind of gift that He gives you, you miss it. Because the Holy Spirit is so much more. And, and I love it. You know, we cheat, you know, when Paul says that he just lavishly pours out his soul, Holy Spirit upon us. I'm so glad that he does. And I hope as the weeks progress through the summer, we'll all be exceedingly glad that he abundantly and lavishly pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. So, without further ado then, so what are some things... Dwayne, that you think we should know about the Holy Spirit that He does. What are some things that the Holy Spirit does that we should be aware of? Well, the first one is this. I'm glad to report that the Holy Spirit is with me. The Holy Spirit is with me. Someone said, a true friend walks in where others walk out. And that so well describes the Holy Spirit. He walks into our lives. When others desert you, when others leave you, the Holy Spirit is always walking in. He's never walking out. Now, I want to I jump in from, with John 14, 15. And the first part, you're going to say, what does that have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, hang on, because I really felt like as your pastor that we needed this today, that we need to hear this, okay? Because, again, we're a little quirky. We Baptists are just a little bit quirky sometimes. And here's what Jesus said in John 14, 15. He says... If you love me, obey my commands. Now, the reason I say we're quirky about that is, again, we, we still tend, even knowing about grace, we still tend to associate God's approval with our performance. So we think that when we obey more, God loves us more. When we obey more, God approves of us more. Okay? You need to hear something clearly. That ain't so. That ain't so. God loves you entirely and wholly, like you are. And once you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you are a product of His love no matter how well you perform. But Jesus says then, if you love me, obey my commands. And what is the deal? Okay? And the deal is this. That obedience is a way that we can express our love. Look at the teaching point. If you're, if you're a writer-downer, write her down. Okay? If you're an apt person, star this one. Star this one. Here you go. Obedience is not, is not a path to God's approval. And again, sometimes we, we have a tendency to think that. That if I obey God, He approves of me more. Oh, and if I disobey Him, He gets me. He gets me, okay? So obedience is not a path to God's approval, nor, nor does it hold His displeasure at bay. So if I obey God, he wants, he, he's, a, he's the kind of God that just can't wait to pour his wrath out on his children. Some of you had a daddy like that. And that's why your, your thinking of the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, of the Father, is tainted. Because you had a daddy who couldn't wait to punish you. Okay? 
I'm glad to report to you this daddy is not like your daddy. Okay? It's not like your daddy. Okay? So obedience is not a path to God's approval. I don't have to perform and do the dance so he'll approve of me. Nor, nor does it hold his displeasure at bay. You say, well, Dwayne, what holds the displeasure of God at bay? This... This, the sacrifice of his son, the word is propitiation, okay? It's the atonement for our sin. The wrath of God, get ready to say amen. The wrath of God was poured out on his son. When he hung on the cross, he felt the full weight of his sin and the full payment for our sin. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. But because, but because, but because it was poured out on Jesus Christ, it will never be poured out on you. It will never be poured out on you. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The wrath, the wrath has been diverted. It's so, so, so important. So, obedience is not a path to God's approval, nor does it hold his displeasure at bay. It is simply, and I don't even like that word simply. I wish I hadn't put it in there. It is an expression of our love for him and a path to his best for us. That's what obedience is about. Okay, it's a it's an expression of our love. I, I tell the kids when they trust Jesus Christ, because, you know, kids, generally speaking, associate water and cleanliness. OK, so so when you talk to a child about baptism, their first thought is, even though they know Jesus, they know what Jesus did. They want to associate somehow that baptism washes away their sin. And I always want to make it clear that they understand that is not the case. All right? Rather, rather, okay, what, what baptism is, it's an act of obedience. It's a way to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. So, so in the same way, and especially our love for him, when we obey this wonderful, marvelous book, okay, it's not about God saying, check mark, he did it right, check mark, he did it right, check, oh, miss that one, check mark, he did it right. When God gives us guidelines for our life, Okay, it's an opportunity for him, for us to say to him, I love you. I love you. And that's a game changer, folks. When you start understanding obedience in that light, it's a game changer. It's a game changer. But here's what's cool. It's also a path to his best for us. In other words, when we look at the word of God and we do actually what the word of God says, it's the best path possible. I know Joel Olstein's one of those guys. I think he says something like, your best life ever. Well... My best life is going to be in heaven. Okay? However, my best life here, my best life here, it was in the parameters, the guardrails of his best for us, his, our obedience to his commands. If you want to live your best life here, you do it within the confines of God's word. Stop looking at the Bible like a thou shalt not and look at it like thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, God. Was marvelous book. Now, then he gets to the Holy Spirit part. Okay? And this is verse 16. He goes, now I'm going to go away. And he says, I'm going to ask the Father. I will ask the Father. And he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Another advocate. Now, do you remember this word from last week? Different scripture, same Greek word. The word for advocate is parakletos. Parakletos. It means really, it's really bigger than two things, but it is two things. Number one is it means one of the same kind. You remember? Jesus said, I am with you, and soon he will be in you. He was saying, I'm going to go away, but one just like me, oh, I like this. 
One just like me is coming soon, and that one just like me will be in you. Parakletos. One of the same kind. And, and, one called alongside. One to walk with us through life. Are you starting to understand why the Holy Spirit is so important? You know, if, if you're going through a dangerous neighborhood, you know, and you feel like you need a bodyguard, and you wish your bigger brother was with you, well, this bigger brother is always with you. This bigger brother is always with you. Okay, a paracletos, one of the same kind, okay, um, one who walks alongside. And, 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 who will never leave you. Somebody say never. You know, never is a long, long time. And never exceeds all performance standards. In other words, Jesus is clearly teaching us that the Holy Spirit will not be with me only when I'm a good boy. He's with me when I don't get it right. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. You know, I'm old school. Not old, but I'm old school. And um, when I get to do a wedding, I, if the couple will allow me, I always like to use the old wedding vows. You know, um, Gene and I used them 40, come up on 45 years ago. Many of you have used them. I watched a movie yesterday, and those vows were in there, in that movie. You know, and he says this, um, for, for better or for worse... Okay, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. And the vows we make in that marriage means that, you know, when good things are going, when life is going good, I make this commitment to you. But when things are not going so well, I make this commitment to you. Okay, Um, when things are rich in life, I make this commitment to you. But when things are poor in life, I make this commitment to you. Um, In in sickness, when, when you are good and healthy, you know, I'm making this commitment to you, but when it's not, I also make this commitment to you. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it don't. And that's not the point of me using this illustration. But the bottom line is this. Here's what I want you to know. That even when your partner chooses to break those vows or you choose to break those vows, that will never happen with the Holy Spirit. I love this. I love this. This, this commitment, He will never leave me even when I don't keep my end of the deal. He keeps his. Grab a hold of that. Grab a hold of that. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is with you to the long haul. And I'm aware that the vows that we use in weddings say, till death do us part, the Holy Spirit goes beyond death. The Holy Spirit goes beyond death. He goes to heaven. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is going to be what makes it all heaven for us. So it's just incredible that, that he, he, he is with me forever. He's in it for the long haul. So if you're the kind of person that lives in fear of, oh, no, what if I do something God disowns me? Ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. The Father, the Son, the Spirit are in for the long haul. But also, also, he leads me. He leads me. And that's in John fourteen seventeen. Okay. He says, he is the Holy Spirit, this one, this paracletos, this, this, this one who walks alongside, this one just like me. Um, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Who leads into all truth. And this is so important, okay? You know, when I was a kid, my mom and dad gave me a bicycle when I was like 10 years old. And, and the bike had a tag on it. I don't know if mom and dad put it on there or if it came with the bike. I can't remember. But I can tell you it was red and white and it hung right below the seat and here's what it said. 
Don't follow me. I'm lost. I hope that wasn't prophetic for me as a pastor. You know, I hope that was not the case. But I remember that tag being on there. And, you know, the bottom line is we need a leader. We need someone who will lead us. You know, Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We need someone to lead us. And the Holy Spirit comes, our new BFF, comes and lives inside of us. And he's the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. Now, you know this is bigger than it looks. Because John 14, 6, you know this verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when the Holy Spirit leads us, he leads us into all truth. In other words, he, and this is important, write this down. He leads us into a deeper and more intimate relationship with truth, Jesus Christ. Truth, the person. He helps us understand. We call it sanctification, but we're saved, and then we spend our entire lives becoming more and more and knowing Jesus more and more, becoming more and more like Jesus. He leads us into all truth, the person. But he also enlightens us with the Word of God. I mean, I know, I know I'm not the only one this happens to. I mean, some of y'all, most of y'all have this experience, either... Either you're reading the Bible for the, you know, and you're reading the scripture for the first time, and something just jumps off the page at you, and you go, oh my, oh my. Guess what happened? The Holy Spirit calls that word to become alive in your life. I know the scripture's alive. It says so in Ephesians. But, but the Holy Spirit will cause a scripture to jump off the page into our lives. Or, or maybe, maybe, and this has happened to me a lot, I'll be reading a scripture, and I've read the scripture before, and all of a sudden a new truth, a new interpretation, a new view of it, pumps, right, jumps right into my life. I'm going, oh my, oh my. Somebody says, how do you preach week after week after week? This is what happens. You know, God will take a scripture and bring a new twist, a new light into my life, and it speaks into my heart, and I get the privilege of sharing that with you. That's how it happens. So, so Jesus said, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to lead you, and he's going to lead you into truth. And this is just so important. You know, Jesus said in John eight thirty two, you will know, and that word know means have knowledge, but also means to be acquainted with, okay? You will know the truth, the person and the word, okay? And the truth will set you free. See, there's freedom in knowing this book. Bondage is outside this book. Freedom is in this book. Now, you, if you're a Jesus follower, you've heard probably a lie that says, this is a book of bondage. It's a no book. No, no. Look at me. Look at me. This is a yes book. This is a yes book. And again, you live within the confines of this word, okay, you're going to have less consequences and fewer regrets. Guarantee you. I'll make a promise to you. Live within the confines of this Less consequences and fewer regrets. So you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, a while back, last year maybe, I found a quote, and I never heard of the guy. His name is Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal. And this is so insightful, so insightful. Uh, you may remember it. If you do, that's cool. You know, here's what he said. Truth is so obscured today. Is that not true? Isn't truth twisted and muddled? I mean, didn't we, didn't we spend a chunk of sermon time about three weeks ago talking about relative truth? That people are saying, oh, there is no absolute truth. Everything's relative. You can interpret. What's right for you may not be right for me. Okay? So, so truth is so obscure today. And, and, he stopped and stopped. Lies so well established. Isn't that so true? People twist and spin the truth and tell lies. And here's what he says. 
that unless we love the truth, let me insert here, unless we love truth the person, and unless we love truth the word, we shall never recognize it. There is a case, if we don't love the truth the person and love truth the word, we will become blinded. And what we once believed, we will no longer believe. And once we felt to be true, it will no longer be true again. It's so, so important. We fall in love with truth the person, and we fall in love with truth the book. Here's what I find amazing. You would think this was written about 25 years ago. Well, it turns out Blaise Pascal is a French Catholic, and he lived from 1623 to 1662. This isn't 25 years old, it's 400 years old. And what is amazing to me is what he said is probably more true today than it was even then. He also said this, I didn't share this in the second group, I'll share it with you. You know, we know the truth, he said this, we know the truth not only by reason, but because of heart. Because of heart. How powerful that is. Well, quickly, I see I'm already in the red, okay? Last thing, he keeps me. This is my favorite. He keeps me. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 about the Holy Spirit. He said, in him, in him, in Christ, you also were sealed. Now, again, if you're taking notes, you want to highlight that word. You want to circle that word with the, with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. You were preserved through the promised Holy Spirit. Spirit. The word sealed there in the Greek literally means to make secure. To make secure. So in him you were made secure with the promised Holy Spirit. And how did that happen, Dwayne? Well, when you heard the word of truth, and he tells what the word of truth is, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So so when you listen now, when you heard the word and then you acted on that word by believing you were sealed, you were made secure by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's so important. That's so important. Some people want to wrestle with the doctrine of eternal security. And I really wonder why. Okay? Um, in fact, some circles make fun of Baptists because that's one of our doctrines that we promote is the doctrine of eternal security. But let me just tell you something. I, I don't know how you, how could you not believe uh, in the eternal security of believers. Now, I understand. I want you to know something. There's, part of the problem is there was a lot of people running around who when there were 7 or 17, it doesn't matter, and they prayed a prayer that had no clue what they prayed for, and then they go out there and live like the devil because they never were changed. I get that. But once you are truly, once you are truly born again, you are born again forever. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm going to tell you this. If you couldn't work for your salvation, what in the world makes you think you can work to keep your salvation? If you, if you could not earn your salvation, how in the world can you think that you can earn keeping your salvation? It absolutely makes zero sense. So I want you to know, as your pastor, as your friend, as a teacher, as a preacher, I want you to hear clearly and get in the book and find out for yourself if this isn't enough. Once you truly trust Jesus, you are secure in Christ Jesus. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Rick Warren says this. 
I believe that we are in Christ. We are hid with Christ in God. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So, in essence, for Satan to get at me, for Satan to get at me, he has to go through the Trinity. Well, let me just say this. You don't want to mess with God the Father. Hey, Mr. Devil, you don't want to mess with God the Father. And hey, Mr. Devil, you don't want to mess with God the Son. And hey, Mr. Mr. Satan, Satan, you don't want to mess with God the Holy Spirit. For goodness sake, you don't want to mess all three. Are you nuts? Hey, Satan, are you nuts? The only way Satan could get at me is to go through the Father, go through the Son, and go through the Holy Spirit. And that ain't going to happen. And Paul continues in verse number 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. I love this. The Holy Spirit is the down payment. Literally that translates from the group, uh, from the Greek, the earnest money. The, the Holy Spirit is the earnest money of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His Father. I love this. I love it. Y'all know what earnest money is. If you're buying a house, you go and you like the house and you sign a contract and you give money to the person. And the deal is this, you're saying, with the money, I promise to keep the contract. Okay? If you don't keep the contract, you forfeit the money. Here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is the down payment, the earnest money of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the possession to the promise of God. And if God changes his mind on the contract, he'd have to forfeit himself. And it is not possible for God to forfeit himself. You are saved. If you're saved, you are secure in your salvation through Jesus Christ. And one day, what, that, what is that redemption of the possession to the praise of the glory? That's home is better. This, the Holy Spirit is just a down payment while we're here. When we get there, we get the Father, we get the Son, we get the Holy Spirit for all eternity. I love this. Couldn't find out who to give it credit to. It says, we are secure. Not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because He holds tightly to us. God, through His Holy Spirit, look at me. God, through His Holy Spirit, has His arms on you. And nothing, nothing can break you free. Nothing can break you free. Do you see a little bit more why the Holy Spirit is so important? I'm so glad He gave us this marvelous gift. You know, the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, thank you, God, for that. But I'm so grateful He's with me and He'll never leave me. I'm grateful He's there to lead me to truth, both the person and the spoken and written word of truth. And I'm grateful and thankful that He's with me. He's going to keep me. I am safe in Christ. And next week we're going to take just a little bit more time because I want you to fall in love with the Holy Spirit. If you've had apprehension... Because, you know, you're afraid of the gifts or something. I don't know what it is. I don't, it doesn't matter. I just want you to fall in love with the Holy Spirit. Just like you're in love with the Father and just like you're in love with the Son, I want you to fall in love with the Holy Spirit. And throughout the summer, we're going to talk about the various fruit, the various attributes, the various character, uh, characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are part of us because, because we're Christ followers. Amen. Would you bow your head, please? So, this is our time of decision. And maybe you're here today and you heard about the cross and you heard about Jesus dying and how he paid the price for your sin. Your sin demanded death and Jesus died 
that the price could be paid, that he endured the wrath that you deserve, he endured that on the cross. And you said, oh my, I didn't know that. Well, I hope today will be the day that you say yes to him. I believe the Holy Spirit draws people. Draws people. You know, we don't, in fact, the Bible says, no man seeks after God. God seeks after us. And the Holy Spirit, I hope, is drawing and pulling you. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not talking about joining the church and being a Baptist. I'm talking about being a Christ follower. If that's something you've never done in your life, I'd like to invite my friend Brent to be down front and uh, have him uh, just talk to you about Jesus. We had a young man come forward last week, you know, saying, I want to I follow Jesus. And we're going to do our best to discipleship him and help him as he grows in his faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today in a weird, twisted way, perhaps. You're like Woody. The Holy Spirit is something that just you're not at ease with. Let's take the summer together and learn our new best friend forever. Let's learn about him. Let's experience him together. How we can love, how can we be patient, how we can have self-control during this summertime. Let's do that. Now the altar is open and we invite you to come. If you want to pray, have somebody pray with you, we invite you to do that. And again, if there's any decision you need to make, church membership, uh, following Christ, baptism, we invite you to come and talk with Brent um, during this time, okay? Hey God, thank you very much. It's a real privilege to share this truth today. And we are looking forward to the coming weeks. And God, I pray you'll give me wisdom um, to teach this throughout the summer. But also I pray you'll give us wisdom to follow and to apply it into our lives. So this time, well, it's your time. And Jesus, we ask that in your name.